GCP listeners, we're coming to you with our third podcast of 2021. Uh, I'm Gene D, co-owner of Gulf Coast Poker, and I have the other co-owner here, Wild Bill Phillips of uh, Gulf Coast Poker. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing good. Just busy, busy, busy with um, our event coming up at Fall River, June 3rd through the 13th. Good deal. So that's June 3rd through the 13th? That's right. And I think there's going to be over 700K in guarantees, and uh, there's a lot of tapes, and we got our schedule out for that already. It's at the top of poker.net. <clears throat> so uh, you can click on there and see all the things we've added. Good deal. Well, our, our guest today is uh, Will Souther, uh, also known as the po- Poker Monkey. Some people call him just Monkey, and some just call him Monk. 
Monkey, how you doing today? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. All righty. I uh, wanted to start things off um, just by, you know, asking you the first question is, you know, same thing we ask all our guests. How did you wind up in the the, the po- poker subculture? How did you wind up getting into this game? <laughs> the subculture? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, that is more of a – that's probably a better question than the, the, po- the poker culture because poker does have a bit of a subculture, does it not? Yeah, it does. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. You're asking me to go back, what, 20 years, almost 15 years, 17 years, 17 years. Um, you know, like a lot of people, I think poker stars brought in a, a heavy influx of, of players, either passively or brand new. I was pretty brand new. I played in college, but we played, you know, stud and five card draw and stuff like that. Hold'em was completely uh, new to me. I just started playing online. I think I, I played, uh, God, I, they used to do an audit on there. You could request your hand history and they'd tell you how many hands you played. I think I played over a million hands just online before I ever stepped foot in a casino. So, How did you yeah. get that first deposit online? What, what, what motivated you to do that? Was it a game you guys played? Somebody told you about it? You're like, I'm going to try it online or you surf in the internet? Um, I don't know, man. It's been so long. I think probably just just having my finger on the on the pulse of you know uh, popular culture was telling me that poker was you know <laughs> the new thing. I think actually, I think about the time that that no, yeah, I think it was about the same time. Honestly, I was doing this. Uh, it was really weird. I still lived in Atlanta. And I had a buddy that was a big – he was a big blackjack player. And we started hosting these blackjack parties at my house. And mm-hmm. um, that was pretty successful. And then right about that time, poker came around. And I was like, huh. <laughs> and I, I, like, I remember, like, I remember downloading the software. I played, I played free poker for a long time, probably too long, probably developed a lot of bad habits. Because anytime you're playing free poker, it's it's not it's not based in any kind of reality. You know, people are making crazy crazy plays that they wouldn't pl- they wouldn't make. You know, if there if there was any amount of money on the line. So, but that was really just to teach myself the fundamentals of the game, um, learn just what the game um, encapsulated because of you know all the situations that you and that you encounter while playing. Um, probably played probably played too long on there. I was just a little nervous about putting any money on there. But I think probably six months, I probably put I don't know a hundred dollars on there. If I remember right, I think that's I think that was like my usual buy-in. I would buy in for like a hundred dollars, and and then I think I probably started playing like five dollars sit and goes and like two dollar rebuys and stuff like that. I mean, I was right. definitely. Grinding at a very low, low level budget wise. And then, how did you transition to to live poker? I mean, you got almost three quarters of a million dollars in earnings. I think I was looking at Hinden Mob before uh, we jumped on. Yeah. So. That's because they only that's because they only report stuff over three hundred dollar buy-ins. That bums me out because 
man, if they had like nightlies and, you know, like smaller buy-ins on there, just wonder how high, I just wonder how high it would be. But, right. Um, uh, like I said, I played online for probably a million hands and I started having some success on there. I, I won a uh, couple, ter- actually I had one really good week on poker stars. They used to have this thing called the TLB, the weekly TLB, the tournament leaderboard. And, uh, I won that one week in 2005, I think it was. And, um, it coincided with a trip that we took to, where did I go? Uh, Aruba for that poker tournament down there. And okay. I, that week I had to, I had to play, um, a heads up match with, with, uh, Tom McAvoy <laughs> and my computer, I could not get a connection. And, um, we had been hanging out down there. My friend, uh, Chad Brown, who's, the late Chad Brown was friends with like all those guys in the poker world. And we've been hanging out the night before with a bunch of them. And, uh, what was his name? He just passed away. Um, double Kevin Smith. No, D- Dave, uh, Dave Oliot. Oliot. And, yeah. uh, I, I ended up having to use his, I ended up having to use his computer in his room cause my computer, I couldn't get an internet connection. I ended up playing McAvoy with Devilfish watching, and I swear, like, never, never did any kind of, never helped me out, never like made any moves. But he was there watching the whole time. It was kind of, it was pretty surreal. It was really a cool experience. Um, I had a lead early, and then uh, I think his experience just, just won out. I think he put me in a few situations that. I think I would have probably played a little different later on in my poker career, but uh, it was a cool experience. And that whole weekend was a really, a really neat experience. Just hanging out with all those guys and kind of, it was just yeah. kind of bizarre. I bet, yeah. I bet it was all these guys. Just, huh? I, I was going to say, I just bet it was a, a great experience, especially that early in your poker career. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got fed. I got fed a heavy dose of of uh, hanging out with poker royalty, you know, before I ever really got my feet wet. Probably, probably a little, probably a little spoiled, you know. Yeah. Well, we we actually had that as one of the questions. Um, so I guess we'll go there. Your your relationship with Chad Brown. Uh, I know you you guys may have played some baseball together, and then I know there was a final table. At, uh, at what else? The Gulf Coast Poker Championship, where you, Kai, Mark Rose, and him. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story. About that tournament? Yeah. Well, your relationship with Chad, how y'all met, and then, um, you know, any, oh, wow. any cool stories from that final table or anything? Uh, wow. I'll try to make that as brief as I can. Uh, <laughs> Chad and I were, well, I, I, I lived in New York from uh, 89 to 93 and Chad and I met while I lived in New York and he was, uh, he was an actor and he ran his own, uh, sort of a Chippendales type, uh, thing, <laughs> kind of a, he'd, you know, go to bars and stuff and perform and he had a whole it was it was just that was one of his little side gigs, but um, we played on a baseball team together, 
and it was all it was pretty much all actors on this baseball team and uh Chad was just one of the coolest guys I ever knew I mean just a super cool guy didn't did not have an enemy in the world I mean he I always said Chad would have made a great politician except that he was probably too good to be a politician um but he 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 would have he would have probably gone on to do a lot more great things outside of poker. But yeah, we played ball together. Um, he had me, uh, I was, I was always struggling when I lived in New York and he gave me the opportunity to work one night as a waiter. <laughs> one of his shows. And these are guys, you know, you've seen the Chippendale guys, they're all ripped, you know, they got just mm-hmm. muscles on top of muscles and I was always pretty lean. <laughs> and uh but I needed the money. And he was you know, he was like, Man, you'll make so much money. All you gotta do is you just gotta wear a bow tie, you know, and black tuxedo pants and I'm like, wait, just like no shirt? No, no, just bow tie, you'll be okay. I'm like, Oh man, I don't know, dude. He's like, Ah, oh, you'll be fine, monkey, just don't worry about it. Just come on. So I went and I, it is so, I just, man, I was so insecure. I was like doing push ups in between taking out trays <laughs> of drinks and just trying, trying so hard, trying so hard not to look, you know, like the, like the, this kid is, which kid is doing his own thing guy, right? And it was fun. I made a lot, I did. I mean, I, I had a good night. I made a lot of money and the women were crazy. I mean, just, I mean, we all know how guys are at strip clubs. These girls were like, 10 times that I was like, wow. So yeah, that was, that was a fun memory. Um, Chad ended up moving to LA, uh, to pursue acting. And I went out a couple times to hang out with him and we played golf a few times. And I don't know, I caught him in Florida and I mean, we didn't see, see each other as much cause I moved to Atlanta to open a bar, but we always stayed in touch. And then when he got into poker, you know, I, I I still remember the very first time I ever saw him playing poker. I was I was at the beach and uh sitting in the I literally like went into the bar to get something to eat and I look up at the TV and there there's Chad Brown. I'm like, "What? What? What what's going on?" <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. And stupid me, like I thought it was a live event, right? So I'm thinking he's on t- I'm like, I'm not going to I'm not going to bother him, but like he he was playing in the I think it was the World Series, and I think it was a stud championship. He was against me, the master. Then the master. I don't. I, I don't even. I don't even remember. But it was so crazy. I was like, "Oh my god!" So I sent him a text message. I'm like, "Dude, I, I, you're at the table. I, I can't believe it. I didn't even know you played poker." And blah blah blah. And he like calls me, and I'm like, "Wait, how, aren't you?" He goes, "Monkey, that was recorded. That's from like three months ago." I'm like, "Oh." Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Wow. And and just from that point on, he kind of became my mentor. You know, I, anytime I had a question about really anything, and he was always like so good about talking to you. I mean, knowing what he had going on, you know, he'd already got established a deal with stars and was, you know, doing the whole Vanessa Russo thing. And I mean, I, I know he had a busy life. I know he had a busy life. So, it was always kind of flattering whenever I'd call him to, ask, to pick his brain about something. He always would like take the time, you know, to talk about whatever it was I wanted to talk about. It's really cool. I really miss him. That's awesome. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think I think I saw that. It, it was the one with Men and the Master. I feel like that's like a very famous episode where um, Men the Master like spills his beer. Yeah, it gets all buttered up. Makes a remark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dad was just like a, a gentleman through it. I think. I think that's funny yeah. that you would see that because that kind of, as as an observer, it's resonated with me like how classy he was in that spot. So, yeah, he, um, he was always very classy. It was, it was, it was really hard to get Chad to ever say anything bad about someone. I mean, there was plenty of opportunities. I mean, we, I, I, I reflect back on 2011. And we went to Arizona to play a baseball tournament. A bunch of us, like former teammates, we'd go play these tournaments sometimes. And we had one guy on our team that was, man, he was just a, just a piece of crap and was causing all kinds of just upheaval and just it, 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 if ever there was a chance, you know what I mean, for, for him to ever talk bad about someone, that, that was the time. And he's still like couldn't bring himself to say anything bad about that guy it's like oh my god dude like wow <laughs> but he just uh he was just a super positive guy you know always was even when he was even when he was fighting the cancer i mean he just he wouldn't complain he wouldn't uh play the victim i mean he just always found something to be positive about it, it it was really inspiring. I mean, it's like I think at the time I was going, I was going through a lot of crap uh, that I'm still going through uh, with trying to get reinstated, you know, into the World Series. And while I probably could have asked Chad to go to bat for me, I just wasn't going to do that because it wasn't really, it wasn't his battle. You know what I mean? It was he had nothing to do with it, and I wasn't about to try to put that on him. I think he would have if I'd have asked him to, but why yeah you know You're right well did, did, in that tournament did y'all ever get in any hands against each other or, or uh, um when, didn't y'all chop that at one point no we did um god i you know i can't remember i can't remember i don't, I don't remember who knocked chat out Mark Rose got credit from first, and then I think, no, we did uh, no, no. I mean, we yeah, we definitely did chop. We did a three-way chop. It was me and Kai and Mark Rose. I'm just trying to remember, um, trying to remember what took Chad out. I think Chad got knocked out fifth, if I remember right. But uh, yeah, we got we we got five-handed, and I was uh, I was in the middle of a. Um, this sounds this sounds so ridiculous, but I had a, a a baseball fantasy draft, or maybe no, I guess it would have been football, that was scheduled to start, and I didn't want to miss it, and we'd already agreed to do a chop, so it was kind of like there wasn't really a reason to stick around. I guess I got it in. I got it in with a straight. It was, but it was a bottom straight, and I had a pretty good feeling that Mark had like a better straight under normal circumstances. I, I wouldn't have gone broke there, but after seeing how it played out, like with the standings and everything, I kind of regret, I kind of regret the way it, 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 it went down. I kind of wish I'd have made a better effort to win. You know, I would have got the, 
I didn't really care about the hardware, but at the time I cared about the cared about the points. Um, and just having a win, just having a win on your record is it's it pays dividends later on in your poker life, you know? Cuz right. you get into a lot of these conversations where people are like, "Oh, yeah, you got third, you know, and they'll, and they'll quote you a dollar amount that it wasn't really what you won. I think, I don't even remember what it says on the website. I think it, I want to say it says like 65,000, but we all, we all took what I think was a hundred and I think we all took 115 each. Wow. And there was no, I mean, there was no money on the table. We just, we played for that bracelet and um, the points. So that's what they gave. Yeah. They gave a bracelet or one of those bow. <clears throat> then they used to give those like sailboats. I think you won one of those. Um, yeah, I had a couple. I had a couple sailboats. One of them I broke. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I think it, I, I'm pretty sure it was a bracelet. And I didn't. Okay. I, I'm not a big. I'm not a big bracelet guy. It's not something I would ever wear. So I didn't really care. I don't. I don't remember if there was a trophy. There might have been also been a trophy. I don't remember. You know, that's interesting. Uh, you were talking about first places. I looked at your um, Hinden mob, and I um, just the, the preparation for this conversation was scrolling from the back to see when you started up to the front, and I noticed that you had a lot of second places early on, and then, a lot of, and then you actually had a, a lot of ton of first places after that. Did that uh, uh, was yeah. that something that was driving you? Uh, I, I, I hate finishing second. Um, there was a, there, there was a long streak of second place finishes that was really super irritating. Um, mainly because I, I, I had them down to like one card for the win a couple times. The, the, I think the most frustrating probably was against Tyler Smith in the, I think it was the one K and he just went on a crazy, crazy comeback. Like he, I think he went into the final table as the short stack and just, he couldn't lose a hand. And even when we got heads up, I still had a, a pretty good lead. Um, I don't remember exactly what the hands were, but I, I, I literally had him drawn to the river for the win and he hit whatever he needed. And that just provided a huge, I mean, you know how it is when you get so late, like you can have the guy down to like one card and then next thing you know, you're like, chips are even and you can be out in two hands you know but it was that was very deflating um because earlier earlier in that week i i I was almost in the same exact situation in the 500 i got i got second twice in the same week in new orleans and um the other the other guy was mark 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 edwards mark stevens something like that dark complected guy really really super nice guy i can't remember Mark Edwards, I think. But I had him in the same situation. I had um, I'd flop the I'd flop the set of nines, and I was basically slow playing, trying to trap him. And uh, he he ended up hitting a straight. Like a, I think he had a pair with a straight draw, and he thought he was good. He just kept betting into me, and then I I finally put him all in and hit the straight on the river. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that was. That one and that 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 ended up taking me from gonna gonna win to being short stack and then I don't remember I don't remember how long I survived after that but yeah it's just there's nothing worse than second place especially when you're so close to 
to having to win, you know. I mean, it's one thing if you go into heads-up play, like, really short, and then you just, you know, last a few hands, and then and then you lose, and you get, you know, a good score and all that. And it, you, those are the kind of second places you can be happy about. The kind that the kind that I just described, those are just, yeah, those just suck the life out of you. And I had a lot of those. I mean, I really, truly had a lot of those. I had, I don't know, like four or five second-place finishes that just drove me berserk. So that's that's kind of when I stopped being one of those players that uh, would do a chop deal when we got to the final table. I used to be more of an advocate for chopping just because I I, I thought there was a little bit of conventional wisdom in, in making it worth getting deep, you know, because you'd invested so much time. But I don't know. My whole ideology on that changed. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with me just wanting to play heads up to get better at playing heads up. Or the fact that I played, I, I bet there's no one in poker who's probably logged more career lifetime sit-and-goes than I had. And uh, playing sit-and-goes is basically, it's a simulated final table. So, you know, anytime you get three-handed or heads up in a sit-and-go, you're just basically practicing for final table play. So why would you play literally thousands of sit-and-goes and, and then become a player that likes to chop when you get to the final table? I mean, it's should be considered a strength, you know. If you've got that much experience in sitting goes, you should hypothetically be a pretty good final table player. I mean, remember when sitting goes were just like a staple of live tournament poker where you would basically yeah. play these tournaments all week and then there's sitting goes running nonstop. I think that's one of the first times uh, maybe I played with you was in a sit-and-go. Um, yeah, um, sit-and-go land. But, yeah, they used to be so good, juicy, a lot of action. You know, you could easily kind of win your buy-in and whatever, but they seem to have disappeared for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. It's very. It's one of the weird phenomena that occurred over the course of the last, I don't know, five years, maybe even more. I just know. Yeah. I, I don't know what it's like now at the World Series because I'm never there. But I think they still have sit and go land there, don't they? Yes, that's like as far as the venues in the southeast, it's mo mostly dried up. The bow has them sometimes, but uh, the WSOP is really I mean, the only place running sit and goes all the time. They still have good sit yeah. and go for sure. Yeah, I know the last couple times that the bows had a big event, it, I mean, they've struggled to get sit and goes going. You know, it's the person running them basically essentially turns into a carnival barker, you know, trying to get them to go. Yeah. Used to be, I mean, used to be you could just turn around and you might be low on chips and down to six people in one, and you just turn around and put your money on the table and the next one about to go. You know, that yeah. just doesn't seem to happen. Doesn't seem to happen anymore that way. People got tired of losing sit goes to you. I think I'm going to blame you exclusively for the lack of sit goes. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> um. <laughs> I remember back in the day, so we we're talking like when we first played, and, and me and Gene talked about this earlier. Um, I think when we started the site, mm -hmm. one of the first things we realized is we wanted to add blogs to it, and we kind of had noticed you at all these events. I mean, you uh, a lot of eyes are on you when you were playing live poker back then. I think you might have had like a full tilt hockey shirt, which I loved, that said monkey on it, um, yeah. and we were like, this guy 
would make a great blog writer. We need to talk to him. And that was like a big score for us that you were willing to, to blog, you know, in conjunction with the site. Um, anything that you, you know, things have changed quite a bit. Blogs are, you know, definitely de-emphasized. Now there's video, a uh, lot, I guess they're called blogs and there's podcasts and stuff. But um, right. as a blog writer, do you ever miss that outlet? Because I, I know you don't, write as much, maybe more so on like Facebook and, and less so on the blogs. Um, have you ever thought about writing a book? Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of, you packaged a lot of questions right there. Um, first, first, uh, I'll address the first thing you said. It was a, yeah. it was a really good marriage. I think it, it was, while you guys thought that it was a, a good get for you, it was actually a really good get for me because it, it provided me an outlet to kind of vent. I've always been a writer. Um, I've always, yeah. you know, been told by teachers in the past that, you know, I was a good writer and maybe I should pursue it. It's hard to pursue things because someone tells you to. You kind of have to be self-motivated, I think, to pursue anything in life. Um, you guys provided me with a really good opportunity um, because it was something that I was participating in that I actually enjoyed. So it was something that I, where I could write about something that I actually enjoyed participating in. Right. It's a little, it's a little easier to sit down and write when you're writing about something that you, that you're enjoying doing, um, which might've led to my lack of posting in the last couple of years. I think if I had to find a, more of a motivation. I could blame being a father. I could blame, you know, whatever, being busy with other things. But I think at the very, I think at the, at the heart of it is, is I've lost a lot of my passion for poker. Um, a lot of that, I, I could find a lot of things to blame that on. Um, burnout is obviously one element. Another element, it's just the whole landscape of poker has changed. The, the, the player um, profile has changed. Right. Um, you know, it used to be, I don't know, five, six years ago, I, I, I'd go sit down at a table and I'd know 70, 80% of the players at the table. They'd know me. There'd be an immediate, um, sizing up, I guess. Like I can sit down and spend, I don't know, half an hour to 45 minutes dialing in on all the players, figuring them out and then go into my, whatever my whatever my side activity is at the time with my OCD. Um, now, you know, I go sit down at a table. It, it, there might be one or two players that has any idea who I am. I don't know who they are. Um, I don't know anything about their game, which puts you at a severe disadvantage. So it forces you to spend a lot more time trying to decipher their levels, um, take in as much information as you can, um, and, and the fact that the players now, it, it, I find now that quality of hand has almost nothing to do with <laughs> the, the, uh, the ability to advance deep in poker tournaments. It's just, uh, it's become, I think a lot more situational than versus waiting for good hands or playing good hands for maximum value. Um, not a big fan of that. Uh, I've tweaked my game a little bit um, to become a little bit more geared towards that style of play. You have to, or you're just going to be like the little old lady that just sits there waiting for pocket aces and then 
cries when cries when they get cracked. <laughs> Talks about how unfair poker is, and you know, I yeah, I mean, I don't, who wants to be that poker player? So not me. Okay, where was I? See, I see you guys. You got me sidetracked. Okay, so uh, so I, I ended with. Did, did, did you ever? Right. <laughs> did you ever uh, think about writing a book? Oh, the book. I did, but not about poker. Um, <laughs> I started a book. I actually got pretty far along in it, um, but that was, geez, 20, almost 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. it, it's kind of strange because the the, uh, the person that motivated me to write that book has kind of sort of come back into my life. Not like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not uh, come back into my life. Not physically, at emotionally, from a catching up kind of standpoint where we have exchanged friendly texts and stuff like that. Um, it was an ex. It was an ex-girlfriend. And she kind of had a, a a very firm grip on my psyche. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. For like five years. Um, and, yeah, no, she, she, she had motivated me to write a book. Uh, the title being They're All Psychos. Um, and I had a, a 22 chapter outline and I had written, uh, 13 chapters and then, and then I met my wife to be, and, uh, I guess my whole, my whole perspective, I guess, changed a lot. And I never, I never did go back to finishing that book. It was pretty good. It was very entertaining, but, uh, yeah, it still sits out in the file cabinet in the garage. Yeah, I just read um, Shut Up and Deal by Jesse May. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but um, it seems to be kind of a collection of anecdotes and really kind of a window into the life of a poker player in like the um, 90s, I would say. But I was thinking all your great stories that are read on the blog, like if you literally just went through them, cut and paste, put them together, you could put up a book in no time. Yeah. That thought has that that thought has occurred to me. Um, I know that there's about 900 posts on my on my blog, um, and uh, yeah, I know there's been some good ones. There's been some not so good ones. There's been some long-winded ones. Um, but but you're right. I think there's enough there that if I were to um, whittle it down, I guess uh, <laughs> go through. Sit down with an editor. You know, you definitely would. You definitely wouldn't want to do it on your own because, because of your own personal bias on what is a good story. You know what I mean? I mean, it's right. If you're if you're marketing a book to outside readers that know nothing about you, then you want to try to appeal to the the most uh, broad range of readers as possible, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that would that would. That would be something that you would definitely want to partake in with a with, with an editor that's in the business of putting together books. But you're probably right. Um, I haven't obviously made any hardcore plans to do that. Um, but yeah, maybe after I die, one of you guys can take it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, um, the most the most the most entertaining player you never heard of, kind of a thing. <laughs> Hey, yeah, Mark. So I just want to put the idea in your head. I want you to cut and paste it and put it out there. I think it'd be a great read. I'd love to see in that format in little tweaking. It'd be great. So. 
Hey, Monk, they, uh, I, I see your, your, your biggest score um, was a deep stack in Vegas. Uh, an Amarillo Slim was at that final table? Yeah, that wasn't my biggest score. The the one at the bow was my biggest score. It, oh, okay. As far as what was as far as what was published, um, yeah, I think you're looking at the was that a five was that a five hundred dollar Venetian tournament? I think it was sixty one k, but that's what Hendon Mob had up. But any, any uh, Sean Rice was on that table too. Any any cool stories with him at the final table? Um, Sean and I used to not get along, and then I don't know what happened. Some. Somehow something happened, and and then all of a sudden we were good. Like I don't remember what it was, but for years, oh, I remember what it was. I remember what made me hate his guts as a poker player, not personally. As a poker player, uh, we were at the bow. Uh, it was when they had their 10K events, um, and it was a 10K event. And um, he, I don't know what his deal was. He was just he was just at me like all day long, and then he showed me he showed me a bluff in a really, really big hand. And I've always just, I anyone that shows me a bluff, I pretty much just want to light them on fire. It's always <laughs> kind of been the deal. Um, and I really, really, excuse me, I'm washing something off my hands. It's probably really noisy in the background. But yeah, he showed me a bluff. It was like he was in seat seven and I was in seat three. So it was one of those, you know, like it was like on display for the whole table really just kind of, it was very emasculating, you know, and just kind of really just challenged me in every way. And I just, oh, I, that, ooh, wanted to kill him. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then I don't know how long it took. I, I, we probably, it might've been through a mutual friend or something and whatnot, but we ended up, we ended up working it out. We are okay after that. But um, the score you're talking about, I think by the time that final table happened, I think him and I were okay. Um, Slim was hilarious. I, he was sitting directly on my left on day one. And I, I no joke, I had to wake him up three times. <laughs> <laughs> and he was always showing his cards, and I'm very – very uh opposed to cheating um ill-gotten gains stuff like that it's not the first time i've had a lot of older guys throughout the years that have been showing their cards and i just i won't look at them and i'll tell them i'm like sir you're you're showing your cards and i'm trying really hard not to look at them but you're really showing your cards (laughs) i I just i'm just telling you that I'm probably going to be like the one player that will tell you this and not just sit here and look at your cards and just take advantage of you. And they, you know, they were always really super appreciative of it, but slim man, but he was funny. He, he just, when he was awake, he, he had a lot of funny things to say. And, uh, it was funny, man. He would start to blind down and, and then not play any hands and fall asleep and, and then all of a sudden he'd win a big hand, you know, and everyone would get super excited because, you know, you always want that guy around because he's, you know, he's famous. So you always, you don't want him to leave yet. You get the poker riders hovering around your table whenever you've got a poker celebrity at your table. So, you know, kind of serves everybody's interest. So, yeah, he, uh, he was a character. He was something else. <laughs> I don't remember. 
he crack any jokes about your monkey? Did you have you put your monkey on the table? Probably. I don't remember when I lost the monkey. I I lost you guys. Someone's you guys remember someone stole my monkey. The right. Didn't you put a bounty on it? Monkey. I did. I did. I put out a five hundred dollar bounty on the safe return of the raising monkey. And someone's got that sitting somewhere. I mean, by now, the luster of having it should have worn off. I'm, I'm almost <laughs> expecting someday for it to just randomly just show up in my mailbox, you know? Like, okay, now that you're irrelevant and no one knows who you are, and there's no bragging rights to, like, having this, I've decided to let you have it back. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> I, might even, I might even put a little – I started writing a blog post before I, before I came on with you guys because I was like, good Lord. I went on there and I looked and I – I didn't have a post since like June of 19, or 2019, even though I'd written like three posts, but I never finished them. So they were like just on there as drafts, but they never got finished. So I was like, good Lord, I got to write something. I got to put something out on there. What, oh yeah. What you were talking about with the, um, the, the changeover, I guess, or the transition, the transition from poker blogs to poker vlogs and all that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of revolutionized the, the whole, um, what's the word? I wouldn't call it industry. It's not an industry. Uh, the whole blog community, I guess. I don't, I just, I don't ever, I've had a lot of people say like, oh, you should do a vlog. You should do, I'm I'm just, I don't know. I just have never felt comfortable with sitting down. I mean, plus I'm technologically challenged, but I know you can sit there and cut it up and, edit it and you know mash it together and make it look you know like it's one flowing uh presentation i I guess i'm just not motivated enough to do it but i don't know back in the early days of poker i also had a lot of people be like wow monkey you should be you should be a comedian you you really should you should be a comedian i'm like no i really shouldn't because when you're a comedian, you go on stage, it's like all the pressure's on you, the spotlight's on you, and you're expected to be funny. Like, you're sp- you go out there, and you're supposed to be funny, right? Hey. Well, when you're at a poker table, everything, everything for the most part is ad-lib. It's very, it's not planned. It's just, it's, you're just basically, you're just playing off of life. You're playing off of the characters that are sitting in front of you and the situations that present themselves, and totally different, totally different. You can't prepare for that, you know? So... Well, you did a uh, podcast with Scotty Clark at one point, right? And I think Gene was brought yeah. up to me today. Well, that was a sort of a – was that – I thought that was live. I think, was, I think it was live. It was like a radio thing that we did every yeah. Sunday. And I, I'm pretty sure it was live, and then, it would, and then it, he would tape it, and then he'd put it on his website, I guess, so people could listen to it later. So I'm not exactly sure how that works, but – yeah, I mean that was fun for a while. Um, I uh, Scott was a little weird. I I kind of how do I say it? Uh, a lot of the stuff that he discussed, I guess, while we were on, was a little cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, just not really my style, I guess. But um, I don't know. It was a you know it was a once a week thing for an hour, so I wasn't gonna. Mm-hmm. Was it an hour? I think it was an hour. I, I wasn't going to, like, make a big deal about it, ruffle any feathers. Things with us fell apart when I was doing my PokerStars home game. 
and was doing quite well with it. And someone apparently became a little jealous of my success with it and routed me out to Bookstars. And they subsequently shut me down. So then I was left with a, a roster of, I don't know, 100 players, maybe more that were jonesing, you know, for poker. And, of course, Scott, being Scott, was eager to get his mitts on my collection of players. And we came to what I thought was a pretty fair agreement. I mean, I'm very generous, I think. I always have been. I'm not ever trying to nickel and dime someone for an angle, you know. And... I I gave him access to all my players for, you know, a set fee and some of them had balances and some were positive, some were negative. And we I thought we had it all worked out and then he just did like a it was weird. I mean he just did like a one eighty and his personality went super dark almost overnight. And I was just like, Wow, dude, just you know what? Just take it. I don't I don't want anything. I don't want anything to do with you. Take it all. I don't care. I don't need the. I don't need the headache. I don't need any of this. He kind of I mean, I basically gave right? him. Uh, he did, and I, I often wonder if he might have ended up in somebody's trunk because he was that kind of guy. I mean, he he made a lot of enemies, and I I I just know that um, I had a lot of people after that came to me telling me a lot of stories, and I just felt kind of bad because the one good thing that he did, which was really really nice was he'd started a petition to try to get me back into the world series and did a really good job with it. You know, he got a lot of people to sign on a lot of people. That was the night. That was the one really nice thing that he did that I truly appreciated. Um, But I also wonder if he had some ulterior motive, (laughs) you know what I mean? There was some kind of, maybe it was a way for him to draw ratings off the, off the back of creating that, level of visibility. I don't know, whatever. Like I said, I try to, I try hard to like see the good in everyone, but it just seems like the more, the more you live, the more you learn to look beyond that layer, because it seems like there's always a layer below there that where there's some kind of nefarious um, motivation laying. So I don't know. It was fun though. It was fun while it lasted. So speaking about that, um, WSOP, where do things stand and um, what? Uh... Uh, yeah, good question. Um, kind of a kind of a weird situation because uh, uh, not last year because nothing happened last year, but prior to 2019, um, I don't remember. God, see, that's what sucks about getting old. You forget more than you remember. Someone, it was either somebody. T- oh yeah, yeah. Someone told me. Um, I won't name that person, but someone said, hey, I talked to um, the person that makes these decisions, and um, he told me that you should probably contact him about getting reinstated because it's probably been long enough, and you, you know, he it's something about, like, he, he – doesn't have any reason to keep you out, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, that's weird. That's kind of encouraging, but also not indicative of how this guy has handled the situation over the last 
11 years or nine years or however long it's been, <laughs> nine years. Um, so I, but I did, I contacted him on Facebook, said, Hey, spoke to someone that this is what they told me. And I don't know how much I believe it, but obviously I'm interested in getting back, you know, and at least playing one event every year. It's not, I'm not, not a full-time player anymore, but I certainly do miss hate. I certainly do hate missing out on the biggest event of the year. And he, oh God, I could probably find it if I looked it, looked it up on Messenger, but I don't know if we have that kind of time. He basically just said, he basically asked me, I think, to, he basically wanted to hear me uh, grovel, I think, for lack of a better word. I think he wanted, I, I, he, he kind of baited me, right? He kind of baited me for mm -hmm. the response that he wanted to hear that would allow him to go, oh, okay, he, he, he's, he's okay now. He's not a threat. He's not a risk. He's not, you know, whatever. He's not going to do anything or say anything or act a certain way or whatever. So he could, you know, give himself uh, cover, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I thought I responded in an adequate way. Um, apparently I didn't <laughs> because, because he, I think his response was, it was very short and he said, well, you, you're going to need to reapply through, uh, the casino where you were evicted, which was in Hammond outside of Chicago. So I was like, that's weird. Like why, like, why would you tell me that? And then tell me that. Like, we all know that you have the power to pick up the phone and just just simply call that casino and say, hey, please remove the 86 on this guy, right? I mean, we all know that. So for him to tell me to do that, it was kind of, uh, I kind of I, I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. So whatever, I went through the motions. I wrote the letter and I still have, I still have the letter actually in my nightstand that I, <laughs> that I got back from that I got back from the okay. horseshoe. I'm walking in there. I'm walking in there right now. Um, the first, the first thing that stood out about this letter was that it was. Oh, here it is. <laughs> it's basically a copy. It's like they took it out of the file cabinet and just copied it, and then just changed the date on it. Yeah, May twenty first, two thousand nineteen. Based on your request for reinstatement, a committee. Oh, has reviewed all the documentation regarding your eviction on 10-15-2012, and a decision has been made to uphold your eviction from our property. This decision is final and cannot be overturned. Further requests for reinstatement will not be considered. Sincerely, the security department is not even signed. <laughs> it's just, it basically, I got a form letter back from them, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you so, yeah. think the people involved in that would, in the decision making, are like moved on to different jobs? Like it's almost like you would think at some point right, it's exactly. been so long that. Well, they, they did. They like, did. Right. Um, but well, they did. They they did gather a committee, though, right? <laughs> right. The committee was gathered, so I'm sure that they gave it uh, a fair, a fair. Um, consideration just to right. just to see if I can entertain you with the actual 
letter. Since can't be that far down. I don't do that much Facebook messages during, or do I? Ten weeks. Oh. Go ahead. You keep asking your questions while I do this. So one of the coolest things that. Happened out of this was the creation of the minions. I mean, it was to me. I've always said this. I think that whole monkeys minions, and and I'll let you explain what it is in a, in a sec. Is one of the coolest things in poker. I mean, like uh, there's very few. It's kind of morphed from its original purpose to something else, and you get people an opportunity to go to the WSOP, and like there's very few things in poker where there's this kind of team atmosphere. And also, you're kind of doing a nice service for other poker players. And, and if you could expound on that, I'd appreciate it. But, I mean, I love it. The, the Monkey's Minions is kind of um, my favorite thing in poker. Um, can you tell how it came about and what it is a little bit? It started out as sort of a, I don't know, kind of a spite move, I guess. You know, I, I, I couldn't be there personally, but somehow I could make my presence felt. And if that meant by putting players in the tournament and having a rooting interest, you know, then it would be worth it. Um, the other thing was that every year, I just I just encounter so many players that are just so disappointed that they didn't get to play. You know, yeah. guys that clearly were had the skill level to play and in my opinion it's it's one of the most uh, it's one of the so, it's one of the softest fields in poker, you know. Um mm -hmm. just uh it's one of the easiest tournaments to cash. And I just think any any player that's worth a crap should absolutely be in that tournament. So obviously the big hurdle is the is the buy-in, you know. So that's the hardest thing to overcome. I mean, not that many not that many people have the sweetheart deals that I had in staking, and not many people have the the vast network of people they can turn to to try to raise 10k like I do. So. It, it it was really it was a pretty organic uh it evolved organically is what i'm trying to say you know i had the resources available um i had the network available and i had the desire you know to give a lot of people uh, access to something that was high on their to-do list high on their bucket list um I so, think yeah. that's one of my I mean, I my said, favorite parts about that is that you selected players that I think are capable of cashing. With players, and I'll get to a text that um, me and you talked about earlier, players that are capable of winning it, um, players that maybe have kind of done service to the poker community and, and you kind of do them a solid by getting them a chance to, to you know, make a run at it. Maybe they're not a favorite to win the tournament, but they, they're good enough to cash and maybe deserving of that chance. 
you know, as somebody's participated in it and observed it, and same with Gene, I know we think the world is, you know, it's almost kind of an altruistic thing now uh, that you do to these people. And um, as a community, we're very appreciative, you know. Um, kind no of like uh, to make a wish foundation for poker players. It's kind of yeah. how I like to reference it. Um, it also comes with a lot of pressure. Uh, and then you get your haters, you know, that think somehow I have some kind of like uh, weird vested interest in doing it. I mean, I, I literally don't, I, I literally do not make any money doing it unless they make more than the investment. I've lost money doing it every, sing, every single year that I've done it, I've lost money. So if it was all, if it was something where I was doing it for some kind of nefarious financial gain, then I'm really bad at running scams. <laughs> but the haters are out there. There's nothing you can do to, about it. They're just going to hate. Well, just how they do. I found that I found that the poker community has a lot of haters in it. I mean, a lot, um, almost to the point where they'd rather, I mean, I had a couple things that happened in the last 15 years that ended up, being um what do you call it clickbait or whatever on like five plus five those is that what it's called a forum where <laughs> two you, plus two anytime two plus two yeah sorry yeah. anytime a pocket scandal yeah. emerges pocket five that's what i was thinking of I was, I was merging two different uh things there um anytime some kind of a scandal comes out in poker like it hits there and then it just takes off and it's it's literally like a like a bonfire and I ended up there a couple times and it's just the stuff you the stuff you read it's like I don't know what it is about poker players in general but it's almost like they're just looking to come up with the worst thing they can possibly think of to come up with you know um, yeah and, and they do oh, here we go wow it's actually a longer conversation than I thought it was which this guy good lord yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> wait way longer oh wait no that's from 2012 ah wow oh no okay in six years oh it's been six years this was a uh, wait six years oh that was 2018 i sent him a i sent him a message and i got no response that was that was on that was on May that was on Carly's birthday of 2018, <laughs> and then a year later, and then a and then a year later, blah 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 blah, very long message from me, um, <laughs> and then and then he actually responded, Will, I believe you, and I'm supportive, although I'm not sure about the sincere part, as you have expressed extreme as you have expressed extreme bad both in blogs and to others publicly over the years. That doesn't go away or help your case with me. That said, I'm not worried about making friends and believe in doing the right thing. You are correct about me and about Hammond. I can only help from a WSOP standpoint. I can't free you company-wide without you going through Hammond. My recommendation is to send security at Hammond an email asking to have your trespass lifted. If that fails, then you can send going to Vegas, and I will discuss with committee to make an exception for WSOP only. 
and then uh and then I it, he was asking for an apology and I said uh thank you for your response well it's true that I have in the past harbored some bitterness those kind of things happen sometimes when you feel like you've been personally wronged I'm human and a little emotional as you know you might have noticed I also barely blog anymore either I think in the last year and a half I've posted about five blog entries I just have bigger more meaningful things on my plate and he says thanks for the apology now I think that he was being sarcastic uh, and then I said well all things we all say things we don't always feel good about saying and say them out loud or frustration I'm man enough to admit that I do apologize for any stress I may have caused you or anyone else with the WSOP I've changed a lot over the past seven years and I've become better at recognizing things I used to do that could have been misconstrued and upset people he says well unfortunately it's one of the things that has kept you on the outside of things whether you were a direct problem or associated with incident if you don't take ownership of those things apologize for them and make a firm commitment to not repeat them then history will continue to repeat itself and I can tell you if those three things are not present in your letters and not sincere neither Hammond nor the WSOP committee will lift the trespass I said understood he says on a personal note Will I always liked you but you became a liability that I couldn't support anymore too wild and volatile had absolutely nothing to do with my personal feelings your aggressive nature was too overwhelming at the tables and around the staff and other players I didn't make this shit up uh, I said a bunch more stuff and <laughs> oh wait yeah uh, anyway then I showed him the letter I got back and said I texted you my letter because I couldn't figure out how to attach it here sent him the letter they sent me and then never got a response back from him so yeah that was where it was left and I don't know you know might be worth trying one more time yeah who knows I mean with the COVID and everything maybe uh maybe they'll uh, have a change of heart I don't know at some point you know you just it just it becomes about it becomes about the price of your pride you know right. And how much principle how much are you willing to how much are you willing? yeah principle there you go um and i just i don't know you know i just you're talking about an opportunity to go give them a, a lot of money like every player that sits down and puts that ten thousand dollars down you're, you're giving them a lot of money <laughs> you know what i yeah, mean they're taking they a lot of that ten thousand dollars you know and it, it should it should come with a certain amount of uh you should be afforded a certain amount of flexibility in the way you act and the things you say. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they basically just, the expectations that they started to put on players after a certain amount of time. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just me saying it. I mean, you'd hear all these players like, you know, poker used to be so much fun. You know, we used to have so much fun. We'd, we'd all get together and we'd cut up and we'd say whatever we wanted to. And, and now it's just like, good lord! I mean, you you got to be you got to be on the edge, just walking on eggshells around a lot of these people. You know, the players, a lot of them. You got a lot of these dealers that are just instead of being a good dealer and and dealing a good game, they they want to play like they want to play like babysitter. You know, it's like it, it's just weird. Like the whole 
the whole what the demeanor, the whole environment, the whole basic mentality, I guess, around that's centered around the game. I mean, it just it just used to be a lot more fun, you know. Yeah, and yeah I was a little wild, and yeah, I, I rubbed some players the wrong way, but I wasn't ever like I, I see I see players doing things that blows my mind. Like they'll get like a one round penalty. I'm like, what? Like I would have literally been 86 from the casino for doing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just like, it, it, it's very, they have a very selective system of who they, uh, and how they decide to um, regulate and discipline. And I just think that's a little unfair. I mean, True, there's a certain amount of I, I get it. I mean I get it. I I, I, I would back in my day <laughs> I came with a certain amount of uh high maintenance, I suppose. You know, I could see where look, I get it. Like I've been playing the noon tournament for seven hours, I take a bad beat, I lose, I'm bummed out, I go play some sit and goes, I start drinking, I'm now I'm just transitioning from getting over my bad beat to having a good time. Yeah. You know, and then, and then what happens, what the night shift comes in it, I forget what time they come in, but okay. They've already been warned monkey monkeys in rare form. He's playing sit and goes and drinking and cutting up and, you know, beware. So they've already been put on notice, you know? So they, I'm basically like, I'm already sort of behind the eight ball because you've got a guy who's coming on the, coming on his shift, who's being told, like, keep an eye on him, right? So may not have done anything wrong. Probably haven't done anything wrong. Just being a little colorful, being a little loud, having a little too much fun, right? And, I mean, I, I, I could tell you a million different instances, not a million, hundreds probably, where, you know, I'd see a guy that would just, you know, he just came on the clock, he's a floor guy, you just kind of see him circling our table. Yeah, I know what he's doing. You know, he's just he's getting the lay of the land. He's eyeballing me. He's seeing like if, if there's going to be a problem. And you know, you got nine personalities at the table, and yeah, good luck. Like you just you just clocked in, and you're going to walk up to a table with nine players, and you're going to you're going to think you're just going to you're just going to make a read on that table and know everything that's going on on that table personality wise. You're not. You're not. And that's what really and bothered also, me. You know, some, you get, you get... If I can interject just for a second, I feel like that's maybe monkey of 15, 10 years ago. Um, that's the, all the times I've played with you since maybe that, that um, decision was made. It, it's very rare that I see that side of monkey anymore. Like to me, you're always just, uh, you know, right. a very calm yeah. per- no. personality at the table. Yeah. No, it's because I, I mean I get I get dealers pushing at the table, you know, in the last five or six years, uh, like ten or fifteen minutes will go by and, and they'll look up and they'll be like, "Oh my God, monkey, where'd you come from?" I'll be like, "I've been here the whole yeah. time." Like, I didn't. Usually, I I, I would have heard you by now. I'm like, "Yeah, sorry." I'm <laughs> but yeah, you know, and and I I guess the reason for that was uh, just based on everything I explained. It, it, they just kind of they handcuffed me at first. And then they just kind of took the fun out of it, you know. It just became not as much fun. So, 
it's hard, you're right. you know, and I, and I get a lot of people that would be like, you know, what happened? You used to meet so much. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what happened. You know, yeah, I, I took, I took a lot of pleasure in being your guys' clown. You know, um, it came with a grain of salt. But yeah, yeah, most of the time when I was playing, I was having a good time. But when these guys make it so that you having a good time is also endangering your ability to stay in the tournament, it, it makes it a little hard. I'm not willing to risk getting thrown out just on the basis of trying to entertain you guys. You know, I'm. Yeah. You're right. It's not my job. So, yeah. So well, guys, the weird thing is. The weird thing is, if you never play a hand of poker again at the World Series, which I hope doesn't happen, but is it? Am I right in thinking that your last hand played would be that WSOP where you busted with kings and that was televised? Is that the last hand you played at the WSOP? Yes, it was. Isn't that wow. crazy? Not, not many people can say that, right? Like I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't even think about that until you until you said it like that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so one other thing I wanted to bring up about the minions. Um, you talked about the players that, you know, or, or I mentioned the players and how you picked them, but there was one guy from our region that was almost a minion who ended up being, um, I guess, the domestic main event champion. Is that the proper title for him this weird COVID year? Uh, Joe Aber, And uh, I had asked him beforehand if he had been a minion, he sent me a text. I kind of want to, he, he actually screenshotted the text with you, and I wanted to read it on in here one sec. Oh, he did? Screenshotted it? Yeah, kind of he too. said, uh, <laughs> he, he texted you, hey, bud, I'd like to be considered for the minion. I'll be out in Vegas for the main. Thanks. Your response was, email me. Then a couple of days passed. Your response is, Joe, if you'd like to be considered, you're going to have to send something a little more convincing. Hey, I'd like to be picked. Cool. I'll write something up. And then Joe said he doesn't know if he ever officially sent the uh, request in after that or not. But <laughs> you were that close to having a world champion on the on the roll. Did it, did it, did it happen to – do you see a date on that? Yeah, that was in 16. Okay. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Well, so by then, by then, Joe and I had been roommates and stuff. The the reason behind that, you know, is we have a lot of investors um, that that jump on, and it's really hard to. First of all, I don't want a guy that wants to be on the team just because he's trying to just because he's trying to skip a skip the buy-in. You know what I mean? I had I had I had one player that I took that position with I knew for the most part he basically was he basically fit the the persona of a player that had been recruited okay um mm-hmm. and the way he carried himself the way he presented himself during the process was that of a player that had been recruited um there wasn't a very large level of appreciation um, there wasn't uh, any kind of sense of duty where he felt like he owed it to the investors to give them, you know, regular reports or any kind of feedback. And it was just kind of a, 
just, you know, it was like he got a free pass. It was like he got a free pass into the tournament, and he didn't really give crap about anything else, didn't show up for the team dinner, um, didn't show up for the team function. And after that, I I just promised myself I would never, ever uh, let that happen again, you know. So anytime a player, whether I knew that, I mean, I know a lot of players, you know, and, and yeah, I had a lot of players that were my friends that said, hey, man, how do I get on your, how do I get on the, the team? I'm like, well, make a pitch, make, you know, make a, make, make a pitch, basically sell yourself to me. Tell me why I should select you. Yeah. yeah. We know each other. I mean, yeah, we've, we've roomed before on the road, you know, we're buddies, we've hung out, we've drank together, we've chased stuff together. I mean, we, you know, but, but I'm representing 150 to 200 people who are buying into this, this show. And I, I got to be able to paint a picture for them. You know, this is, this is why I selected this guy. You know, I'd like to hear like, is there something that makes your story unique? You know, is it, is there a feel good story attached to you that I can share with everybody? That kind of stuff, you know? So yeah, you know, I don't, I I would Mm. have to say that probably the reason I didn't pick Joe was because he probably never responded back. Um, with any kind of a reason why I should pick him, but Mike. Joe's a good friend. He's been a good friend. I'm so happy for his success. He's definitely deserves it. He's certainly put in the time. You know? Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I didn't mean it. Go. I, I was just going to say, you know, I think we're all happy for Joe and he's such a great guy, but you know, there's also, I mean, we all know there's a butterfly effect. The chances are, if he was a minion that year, he might not have won, you know, anything, and he might not have won this. You know, things just work out the way they work out, and you know, just he 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 played well. Uh, We're all happy for him, and uh, but just because you know he he won this, that didn't mean that he you know should have been on the team just from shooting shooting that tax, you know, but. Right. Well, and I want to clarify too. I wasn't saying uh, Joe should have been picked. I, I think it speaks to the quality of the player pool that he was in consideration. And, and yeah. I, I feel like we've talked about it. He was probably close to being picked, or maybe would have been picked last year. So, um, you know, I, I think it is more a compliment that the, you know the world champion or the guy that ended up winning the U.S. version of this <laughs> was in the mix. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So. Yeah. I, I have, a, I have a question about that. When you, you guys are saying domestic, I must, I must have misunderstood, but were there no foreign players in that field? Because the way I understood it was it, it all started online and, they, and then they played down to the final table, and then that, that was live, right? So there was, it was very weird. So this year there was a WSOP um, online tournament for players in New Jersey and Vegas. For some reason, I don't think Delaware was in, but um, – whatever. So you had to fly to like Nevada or New Jersey to be able to play if you didn't live in those states. Then the top nine from that tournament played a live tournament and Joe won that. Over in Europe, they did the same thing on GG Poker. So they did an online version and then the top nine in Europe played a final table live after all the COVID shit and that stuff. And then the guy Damien Callas from Argentina won that. And then they had Joe play Damien like two weeks later, heads up. And Joe, oh, really? you know, I think, 
yeah, Joe had Damien down like Six you know, like four. you were talking about earlier at the beginning to to nothing. And Damien came back like three times and ended up winning it. So technically this year Joe is the US wow. domestic main event champion and Salas is the world champion and the European champion. Wow. However it works. So Joe doesn't get the brace. Wow. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. And he doesn't get his banner in the hallway? No. Right. The only main event champion to win a final table, and, you know, maybe they took away Russ Hamilton, but, you know, he's the only guy to have won a final table and not get it. Yeah. Right? Wow. Right. What what were those – I didn't even hear about that. What were those two playing for? Just bragging rights? A million. Oh, one million what? and a five hundred thousand dollar bracelet. The bracelet is valued at five hundred K. One million what? and a five hundred K bracelet. Yeah. Dude. I'm selling yeah. that bracelet. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> I'm sorry, man. A half a million dollar bracelet? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, um we're we're gonna have to wrap it up over over an hour now. Uh Mark, Bill and I can talk. We, we figured we were going to go over, and we, we're probably going to have to do a part two with you. So uh, give oh. us a few weeks to get a few more guests on, and then we'll bring you back on for part two, and we'll continue where we left off. All right. Well, you know, you you know my busy schedule. You know, you know I'm galloping around <laughs> the planet most of the time. So, you know, I'll try to I'll try to squeeze you guys in. I'm just kidding. I appreciate uh, you guys well, having hope, me on. Hopefully, nice you can make it to Pearl River in June. Yeah, I heard you talking about that, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because I, I, I was just—I was just contemplating going up there a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I, I was looking on the website, and I saw all the guys that cash, and I'm like, "All right, dude, I gotta get—I gotta get my ass back in the live game because there's way too many people cashing that have no business being there. I gotta go take their <laughs> chips." Mm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I saw that. I saw that Daniel. I saw that Daniel Lowry won. Dan, Dan's a great guy. I, one of my one of my oldest uh, uh, buddies in poker. He's always he's always very entertaining. So he's good a good him. guy. Yeah, he is. All right, guys. So June. Well, that's, the, that's the next event. Yep, June third yeah. through the thirteenth. Yep. Pearl River, right. June third. Sorry for. Stepping on you there, Gene. Oh, that's all good. June third to the thirteenth, um, Pearl River. Um, next next lot of event for us. Um, and I, again, I'm not. You know, I think some of the listeners. Uh, I think around an hour is where they say we should stop the podcast. Uh, sorry for having to cut it off, but we'll get you back on. Thanks. All right, brother. All right, man. See you guys. guys. All right. Talk to you.